0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, my co-host is excited for the biggest movie of the year so far. I'm Jeff
1: Braun. Yes, we're doing it again with (laughs) Dune Part (laughs) 2.
0: It's so obvious, but it just tickled my funny bone. And I have a follow-up full review of the first season of a show on Netflix adapted from a beloved cartoon. And then I'll take that review one step further. But yes, first, let's talk
1: Dune Part Two, aka Dune It To Me One More Time, which opens this weekend. My allegiance is to you. Do you believe me?
0: Your father was a weak man. He believed in the rules of the heart. But the heart it's not meant to rule.
1: I am Paul Atreides, Duke of a racket! and I will do what must be done. 13 only in theaters, March 1st. It's dystopian, fun in the sand, and director Denis Villeneuve knows how to make it look good. Just about every frame of part one look like a work of art. I rewatched that first one this past weekend, and I would just randomly hit pause, and you could argue that literally every frame of that movie is something a sci-fi nerd could turn into a poster and hang on their wall. It's that gorgeous. And I've heard some enthusiastic reviews suggesting Dune 2 is even better looking and better sounding. It's very much a theatrical experience. I almost never shell out for the big, big screens but I did buy the expensive $20 ticket for this one, and I'm looking forward to it this weekend. Dune stars Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides. They are a powerful family and have been given the honor by the emperor to rule the spice-heavy world of Arrakis, taking over from the Harkonnens, an ugly mean bunch of people who are not too impressed to have their lucrative spice-harvesting operation taken away from them. Anyways, the plot is a lot with these movies. There's a group of Dellers, there's other factions, witches, etc. I didn't fully comprehend it the first time I watched that first one, and unlike say Tenet, that didn't really stop me from enjoying it. I thought Villeneuve was very good at guiding the audience through the plot, even though it's clearly not his primary interest with Dune. The visuals and the sound are, and again, the big screen makes a big difference. Now, that first movie from 2021 was never billed in its advertising as part one, so that was a surprise when it came up on the screen, and sure enough, the ending kind of sucked because there was no real ending because it was only part one. Part two will be different uh, while Villeneuve wants to make a third one. Apparently, there is a complete story told here with one and two, and I searched up the book series from the sixties. Dune the book is nine hundred pages, which is why it's taking two movies to make it. And I think they probably left a lot out. You can tell watching that first movie, they're skipping along quickly as far as a for a more than two and a half hour long movie from thing to thing, trying to kind of cram it all in. Villeneuve says he wants to make the second book, which is called Messiah, which is only three hundred pages, so he could do that in a single third movie. But any other sequel will, I'm sure, largely depend on how dune part two does and of course that opens this weekend brett i know you didn't weren't huge on the first one (laughs) so you're not going to see this one
0: well i might have to go see this one because the first one came out and had uh, enthusiastic reviews from critics 83 percent from the critics 90 percent from the audience you went to see it loved pretty much right away right
1: opening i went i saw a couple times in theaters and i think i named it it was number one on my top movies of the year list
0: okay so I never went to see that first Dune on the big screen. And it wasn't because I didn't want to see it, especially after you raved about it. And in, when I even seeing the trailer on the big screen, I thought that looks cool. That looks like something I need to get around to seeing on a big screen. I just never did. Yeah, And uh, I, then it, it came home. You lent me the Blu-ray. I never actually got around to watching it. And it was on Crave for a time. And I only finally ended up watching it because it, it ended up, on netflix so i had it on my list on netflix and then i got this little reminder nudge hey this is leaving on december 10th i think was the date and it was like december 6th so <laughs> I, thought, I better i better get to this now otherwise i'll have to because you can still rent it but it it's not available on any streaming platform and you suspect maybe that's because they re-released it temporarily right yeah the
1: dune part one i don't know if everywhere but in I was I know, on social media. I saw from people in the U.S. Anyways, it was on IMAX screens last week or the week before for a week or two. So okay. sometimes, like they did with right before Avatar: The Way of Water came out last year, the Disney took Avatar One off Disney Plus. That's right, and put it back in theaters for a couple of weeks. And it's just, uh, hey. These companies—they're doing what they can to drain us of every penny we can.
0: We got yeah, them. well, they have to <laughs> uh, because they don't—they've got to make all their money on the big screen, right? Because the Blu-ray is essentially dead. Matt Damon—just sidebar. Matt Damon did an episode. You know that show, Hot Ones? Nope. Where celebrities? Oh, the Peppers. Yeah, they eat or hot the wings. wings and yeah, stuff yeah. It, with increasing levels of of heat. And he went on this little—not a rant, but he explained yeah. like the this is the reason why. The way, the kind of movies that get made now get made because they need to make all of their money at the theater because the the Blu-ray the DVD was like the second revenue stream, right? Where you could make up maybe The Money You Lost, and then some. Like, think of Lord of the Rings. Every person who likes that movie owns at least one copy of it. And
1: most of us own two, because the theatrical would come out, and then a week before the next movie would come out, the extended version would come out. But in, you know, their defense, they made those extended versions. Versions, packages, four-disc sets, worth buying. Yeah. Like, there's more than enough stuff that they put on those things to uh, justify the cost of it. But yeah, that, I've seen that Matt Damon thing, and he also does a very good job of explaining how uh, this movie made $300 million, but... The studio doesn't get three hundred million dollars because they got to pay for the advertising. They got the theater gets its cut, and yeah, yeah, once everyone gets their cut, there's like no money left. So. Yeah,
0: you, if your budget is like three hundred million dollars, you have to make a billion. Yeah. just to break even, pretty much. So anyway, with with Dune, I, I never got around to seeing it. Wanted to see it on the big screen, and the fact that I didn't get around to seeing it meant I was suddenly in no rush to watch it. So when I did finally watch it, and I will acknowledge the fact that I didn't see this in a the theater probably took away from my experience because i didn't have the big screen i've got a big tv at home but i don't it's not a movie screen and i I certainly don't have a movie theater stereo right so but i was also and i admitted this when i did finally give my belated review late last year that uh even though it's right in the name (laughs) dune i was bored by the sand And I don't know if that's because of all of the sand we get in Star Wars. You know, how many times have we gone back to places like Tatooine? But isn't it frustrating because for me it is to hear you
1: say that because Dune the book came before Star Wars, and George Lucas is just ripping off Dune with a lot of the Star Wars stuff. (laughs)
0: You're right. So, I mean, what are we supposed to do? You're right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And, and probably I don't know. the guy that
1: wrote Dune is ripping it off from some medieval folktale from a thousand years ago <laughs> on the other side of the planet, right? Like, nothing is original, but uh, it's just one of those things.
0: But this one is getting uh, almost unanimously excellent reviews. Denis Villeneuve makes great movies. I did like the first one. I just found myself kind of bored with it by the end because visually it, it wasn't appealing to me, but I'm curious to know what you're going to have to say about Dune part two. We'll have that review for you next week. And up next, I got to dive in to the world of avatar. No, not that avatar. I'll explain next. You're listening to the couch potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the couch potatoes. I want to expand on something I touched upon last week because it came out on February 22nd. And I had only, I'd seen in sneak peek fashion, two of the eight episodes Of the first season of this show Which is called Avatar The Last Airbender And no this has nothing to do with the aforementioned James Cameron Avatar movies This is based on a beloved cartoon That aired on Nickelodeon from 2005 for three seasons through to 2008 And why don't we just sum up what it is with the introduction from the cartoon Water Earth Fire
1: Aang can save the world.
0: Alright, so this was a popular cartoon, and we'll talk about the cartoon in a moment, because right now we want to focus on the live-action adaptation that's on Netflix, and I can first say, way better than the movie. Here's a clip from the TV show. The world needs you. Remember
1: what it is we're really fighting for. The ones we love. I'm the Avatar, and I'm going to save the world. With my friends.
0: So this live-action adaptation is eight episodes, adapted from season one of the cartoon. The movie that came out in 2010 directed by M. Night Shyamalan, was my first anything to do with this show. I never even heard of it, the cartoon, but at the time I came to understand it was a popular cartoon, popular enough that it got greenlit for the cinematic adaptation, which was supposed to be a trilogy, by the way. There were supposed to be three movies, but that first movie sucked and was a critical and commercial failure, so they just walked away from that. So here we are, 14 years later, with a new... Live-action adaptation. And last week, I'd only watched two episodes. And now I've watched all eight. And I liked it. It was fun. It was, I don't think it's going to be in my top ten for the year. But I think the, the visuals were spectacular. The acting was great. I really enjoyed it. It was a fun, fantastical... I think I have, this would be good for families. But I came to the end of that first season and i thought okay i've got a decision to make here because the cartoon is on netflix all 3 seasons are on the are on netflix do i watch them it sort of felt like when lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring came out and yeah. i i had not read the books oh. so it was like okay i really loved that and it put it into the, from the movie speed pop quiz hotshot yeah. you've just watched fellowship of the ring you want to know what happens next. The next movie only comes out a year from now, but you can get to the end of the story sooner if you read the books. What do you do?
1: And what did you do? I read the books. Same. I read the books. I finished The Return of the King like two days before I went to see Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. like It was all very fresh, and I sort of had a lot of the main fellowship actors anyways It's like, oh, when I'm picturing Frodo while I'm reading the books, I'm thinking that it's the guy from the movies, right? Because I've seen the trailer already. So, And I found it very helpful. I would think I would have been just lost in those movies. Oh, really? Yeah. But also, the way that was designed, like after Fellowship of the Ring, there's no way you are going a full year to the Two Towers without overhearing spoilers galore from all corners about what happens with the rest of
0: those books. So That's a good point. That's a good point, yeah, because I had never read the books. I had no knowledge about Lord of the Rings. All I knew was that... It was a thing and that it was a big deal
1: so now you're like should i watch season two of this cartoon knowing that that's what season two of the show is going to be
0: yeah because like season two as of this recording has not officially been green lit i'm pretty sure it's going to get a, a green light because it's the number one show last time i checked it was number one on netflix and you know a lot of people this show means a lot mm-hmm. to a lot of people and i could see them uh, giving the green light to seasons two and three where they'll shoot them back-to-back, back, like just shoot it all at once. Yeah. But we're still, like, that's going to take two years at least to see us, given how visual effects heavy. Right, it's going right, to take right. two years before we see a second season of this. So then I thought, well, let's just check out the cartoon and have a peek. And I'm, and I'm glad I did because the, for one of the first things I want to point out and follow up on from last week is I was uh, somewhat negative about the 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 main actor the kid the canadian kid by the way his name is gordon cormier he's the one who's playing the last airbender whose name is ang and i suggested that his performance was kind of silly and kind of maybe a little whiny but i did add it's probably unfair to me to be poking at this kid's performance yeah. two episodes into an eight episode like maybe just watch the whole <laughs> thing and but then and at the end of the first season i thought okay yeah he's pretty good but watching the cartoon his performance is Super faithful to the cartoon. In fact, there is a lot of stuff in the live action show that is really faithful to the cartoon, like his friends, Katara and Sokka. They look and sound like they did in the cartoon. Should point out the cartoon it, it aired on Nickelodeon, so it was a cartoon for kids. So right. it's quite childish by comparison. Yeah. Although it still tackles heavy themes, like you heard in that intro, they're talking about war. The, there's genocide, you know, violence, all death, all sorts of crazy, like, heavy things. But it's still a cartoon for kids, and there are fart jokes and stuff like that. Uh, not to say that the live-action show isn't silly at times. Are there fart jokes? I don't remember any fart jokes in the live-action. I might actually go back and rewatch the live-action now that I've watched the <laughs> cartoon. But I was really impressed with how faithful the live-action adaptation is To the cartoon in terms of the way the characters are presented i'm sure there are people who are probably going to be nitpicking like hey why'd you change this and why is this character in this setting and not that setting because the first season is 20 episodes mind you they're like 22 minute episodes whereas the netflix is like 45 minutes to an hour for each of the eight episodes but you know, just because of the episode structure, right. it made set, more sense to move this here and move that there. Overall, the live action, I think, is a really cool show. I just can't believe the visual effects. They're a little clunky at times, but for the most part, everything you see on screen is really beautiful. I think it's a, a good, fun show, uh, particularly for families, maybe not for the littlest of kids, but I really enjoyed the live action adaptation. And now I've plowed through the first season of the cartoon and I'm halfway through season 2. So maybe by next week I'll be able to review seasons 2 and 3 of the cartoon. And I just hope this doesn't send me down an Avatar the Last Airbender <laughs> rabbit hole because there's comic books and there's a follow-up series and I kind of want to watch the movie again, which by the way, you talk about casting. All of the casting choices in that movie were ridiculous when I went back to it. And I- should also point this out just for fun because we were wondering about that. Neckalekalaurian Yeah. Where did that come from? Here's Jack Black teeing up the two thousand six Kids Choice Awards. <laughs>
1: There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Jack Black does anything, I always the thought keeps into my head is like, does Jack Black have too much time on his hands? <laughs> Did you see his backyard videos during the pandemic? Yeah. yeah. That guy, holy smokes.
0: Some of those were pretty good. Yeah. Up next, we got some thoughts on the return of the biggest show in Canada. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes, and it is back Wednesday nights on Global. Survivor 46. Now we teed this up last week. The first episode of Survivor 46 has aired two hours on Wednesday night. Jeff Braun, what did you think? Uh, I enjoyed it. I For a
1: premiere episode, which is often kind of rough because it's like, we don't know any of these people, yada, yada, yada. Um, I was pretty much entertained most of the way through. Uh, I liked a lot of the players. Did, a lot of them seemed too excited or something. I was like, oh my God. But maybe it's just first episode, like after a few days on the island that will be beaten out of them by the elements no problem because it was like you're getting on my nerves you're too happy but uh, it it seemed like a a lot of actually pretty good players this year too Uh, was it last season or the season before where they just all felt like like bumps on a log is like what are you people even doing but so I I was impressed with it Uh, that guy Q seems to be on the ball but he might be again the enthusiasm is going to kill some of these people's gameplay or whatever Uh, there's a lady named Soda that I can't remember what she looked like, but I was like, I love that name, so I think I might root for Soda. Especially because she's like,
0: my Sodar is going off. (laughs) She's leaning into it. Well, the (laughs)
1: other guy's name was, it was just a Q. I was like, what? Is his name Quincy or something? And he just goes by Q? I don't know. Because they go by nicknames a lot of the time on there. But no, overall it was fine. The challenges were a little boring, to be honest. Um, I, I was sort of watched through the challenges with a little fast forward action um but i've got high hopes for the new season and though there was one guy who was getting on my nerves and he quit he quit like everything he tried to do he just quit and they were talking about it and i was like oh that was pretty entertaining but he was also kind of irritating
0: yeah and i'll say this i i think that uh Two hours for Survivor, for me, is too long. Yep. And actually, the next episode is also going to be two hours. They're really? kicking off the season with two two-hour episodes. But then after that, they're going to stick with the 90-minute, the supersized format that they launched oh. in the previous season because of the, the writer's strike and the actor's strike. The CBS decided to go 90 minutes for Survivor and 90 minutes for The Amazing Race, so they aired those back-to-back on Wednesdays. And it worked out fairly well. And even Jeff Probst... He says 90 minutes for him is the sweet spot. Um, but it was interesting this year because they hadn't been officially told that they were doing it. Like with the last season, they were told way ahead of time. Like Before they we're started. Doing, yeah, we're doing 90 minutes. They were able to plan it out and produce it and and make sure that they had all their ducks in a row. Yeah. Whereas this time, they didn't know if they were going to end up with 90 minutes. So they were they kind of kept it in the back of their minds. Hmm. And he said, like, normally you wouldn't be able to like last minute go, 90 minutes, make it happen. But he said that with this cast, they just apparently, the cast gave him so much gold to work with. Right on. So uh, the night, I didn't, I didn't care for the, like I didn't mind the 90 minute format. I found it I enjoyed it more with the amazing race than I did with survivor. I think sometimes it worked for me, sometimes it was too much. But I kind of think 60 minutes is just fine unless it's a double episode. Like for a two if you're going to go 2 hours, make it like a double or triple episode where more than one person's going on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I agree with you. The 2 hours is way too long. Um
0: it, it
1: sort of makes sense. With the premier, just because they have to introduce absolutely everybody. Yeah. But they still didn't do a great job of that. No. There was still, like, the whatever the tribe was that Juan Immunity. I was just like, well, I don't really know who most of those people still are. Oh, Venus. There's a Canadian girl. I guess I'm rooting for her, too, but she seems like... You know, with if you've got too big a personality that can really work against you in Survivor and it's like oh this lady's going to pick a fight and get voted out real quick kind of a thing. but um, we'll see yeah no the 90 minutes most of the time it's okay sometimes it'd feel like filler but if uh, Probe said they got gold from everybody hopefully that is true
0: yeah now, of course he's also got to be a salesperson yeah. right? he's not going to be like Yeah, the cast was kind of boring. Most of these episodes
1: are 30 minutes too long. Good luck, everybody.
0: (laughs) Have fun with that. Maybe take a (laughs) nap at about the 47-minute mark. Go do your laundry. That's Survivor, 46, Wednesday nights on Global. Also just wanted to give you a couple of sneak peeks on some shows that I'm hoping to have reviews for you for next week, because they come out March 6th and March 7th on Netflix, starting with... Full Swing, Season 2. It's been quite the year in the world of professional golf.
1: <laughs> Some serious breaking news. The PGA Tour today announced a controversial deal with the headline-grabbing Live Golf. Oh!
0: Like, what? What happened? There has been a lot of controversy and a lot of uncertainty. This year, the players from the Live Golf Tour go up against the PGA Tour. This sort of changed the dynamic between you guys. A lot of people feel a bit of betrayal. I feel like a sacrificial lamb.
1: Do you feel like you should be compensated for not going to live? I,
0: yeah, pass. (laughs) Full Swing Season 1 came out last year, and Netflix does a great job with their sports documentaries like Season 6 of Drive to Survive. Last time I checked this week, it was number two on the top 10 for TV. So a lot of people like Drive to Survive, and a lot of people ended up, as a result of watching that show, have gone on to watch Auto Racing. And that show apparently is really good. I'm a golf fan, and I think the things with these shows, too, is you don't have to know the sport to, to enjoy these documentaries. So I was really excited to see what they would do with the golf, and I enjoyed it. But it was good, not great. Like, every episode would sort of focus on one particular golfer. And they told interesting stories. But they, that whole live situation with the live tour poaching players from the PGA Tour, like, that was a huge, that was one of the biggest stories in sports. Not just in the history of golf, but in sports for the last year and a bit. And they just kind of touched on it with that first season because, I guess, they already had their map for what they were going to do with the season. And then this live thing started to happen. Well, now they've leaned right into it. So I've watched the first episode and I can tell you it was better than any episode, uh, in the first season and the rest of the season looks to be quite explosive. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's out on Wednesday, March 6th. Hopefully by next week, I'll be able to review that for you in full I'm also hoping to take a peek at The Gentleman, which launches March seventh, twenty twenty-four. Eight episodes. This is from Guy Ritchie, and he had a movie called The Gentleman yeah. in twenty nineteen, right?
1: Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, did you I, see it? I did not see it. Okay,
0: I hear it's quite good, and uh, but it's like you know, Britain criminal underground, whatever. Uh, apparently, you don't the, the the shows are they're not connected. Like I guess hmm. they're set in sort of the same world or whatever but my understanding is you don't need to have seen the movie to watch the show and it looks pretty cool so that's out on seventh full swing is out on the sixth and up next one of the neatest like the, the movie i didn't even know existed and i watched the trailer and i thought that looks super fun jeff's got a review it just came out last week we'll tell you about that next you're listening to the couch potatoes
1: Welcome back to the Coach Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And a Cohen brother has a new movie in theaters. I saw Drive Away Dolls this week.
0: We need a drive away. Where do you want to go? Tallahassee. What? We need to get our case back. This was never meant for you. The case. turn back. I'm gonna help you break a big murder case. That is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard.
1: And I'm a cop. Drive-Away Dolls. Rated R, Only theaters February 23rd. The 84-minute-long away Dolls comes from Ethan Cohen of the Cohen Brothers and his wife, Tricia Cook. It's his first effort without his brother, Joel, and a couple years ago, we got Joel's first effort without Ethan, a Macbeth remake starring Denzel Washington. I think I mentioned recently I never saw that Macbeth because it looked like homework, but it did get a few Oscar nominations. At any rate, now, with these two films out there as proof of what happens when you split up the Cohens, I think a lot of us can now look at their entire filmography and sort of says out oh, which brother was responsible for what. It's hard to not- to, but I also wouldn't put a ton of stock in that because to hear anyone who's ever worked with them talk, they were always very in sync with everything involved in each production. But on the surface, it looks like Joel is the serious, arty one, and Ethan is the goofy, silly one um, because Driveaway Dolls is a very goofy, very silly movie. Of course, his wife co-wrote it, so you can't pin it all on him. Nevertheless, what we have here is reminiscent of many Cohen screwball comedies like Raising Arizona or Brother Where Art Thou, Intolerable Cruelty, The Lady Killers, Burn After reading and some others. It's about these two young ladies, lesbians as it happens, which I mentioned because the movie focuses on it a lot. They're in Philadelphia. They need to get out of the city and they decide to take a trip to Tallahassee, Florida, and through a mix-up they end up driving a car that has something in the trunk that belongs to some very bad people but they don't know it. Honestly, we've, you know, seen this premise before many times in movies and shows. Oblivious heroes transporting a case with something important in it with bad guys on their tail. It's literally the plot of Dumb and Dumber, and it's also the plot of this. Our hero is played by Margaret Qualley, who could be a descendant of George Clooney's character from Old Brother, Where Art Thou? because she's doing this southern accent through the whole movie and she's a fast talker. It took my ears actually a while to tune into her frequency, and I, I think I missed quite a bit of her dialogue early on, just because she was talking so fast with the Texas accent. And our other hero is played by Geraldine Viswanathan, who was in Blockers and Other Things I've Never Seen, so she was new to me. Holly, though, wow. I, I like her more and more every time I see her. She was great in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the HBO show The Leftovers. She turns 30 this year, and through this whole movie, I just couldn't get over how much she looks like her mom Dow. She's the daughter of uh, Andy McDowell, who was in Four Weddings and a Funeral and Groundhog Day and skin moisturizer commercials. Uh, It just made me feel old, but what can you do? So, Quali is the outgoing one. Viswanathan is the uptight one. And these movies are designed for characters like those to kind of meet in the middle. While they're on their adventure, which is uh, mostly sex-related, there are some very coheny, dumb criminals on their tail. Two goons, played hilariously by Joey Slotnick and C.J. Wilson. And their boss is played by Coleman Domingo, one of those character actors who makes everything they're in better. There's also Bill Camp, who plays Curly the guy who runs this drive-away business where the girls got their car from and the mix-up begins. There's also a small role for Beanie Feldstein and even smaller roles for Matt Damon Pedro, and Pedro Pascal. In the end, while there were a lot of laughs, the story's kind of messy. It doesn't add up to much, but not in the calculated, purposeful way that, say, Burn After Reading or The Big Lebowski don't add up to much. Those are like that by design and this felt more like they just rushed through it or something. Frankly, what it does and coming on the heels of the other Cohen's Macbeth movie is make you wish the brothers would get back together because when they're separate, they seem to make movies that are pretty good but not nearly as good as when they are together. This, though, it was pretty entertaining and as is the case with all their movies, it's probably going to grow on me more and more every time I see it, but it's not going down as one of their classics. You can wait to catch this one at home, I think, too, even if you're a Cohen fan and you like weird movies and short movies. I still can't believe it was only 84 minutes long. Um, When we were walking out of the theater, my girlfriend announced that it was at the the bottom quarter of all movies she's ever seen. So it's definitely not for everyone. It's a weird one. Uh, there's a lot of sex, a lot of swearing, a lot of violence. Three couch cushions out of five for driveway dolls.
0: 84 minutes. Isn't that wild? Yeah.
1: Right before the movie started, I usually go to the, rush to the bathroom when the trailers are about to start, and my girlfriend's like, aren't you going to the bathroom? I was like, it's not even 90 minutes. I know I can make it through this one.
0: Did you? I, I did.
1: <laughs> Good for you, yeah. Jeff Ron. Yay! <laughs> Dune part two, I don't know how long it is. I'm assuming it's two and a half hours.
0: I won't make it through that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I wish you Godspeed on yeah. your journey. Uh, now what you got for us to wrap up? A fantastic cop show on Crave returned for its second season
1: a couple of weeks ago. It's called Tokyo Vice. But we're still a thing, right? Starsky and Hutch? Which of us is Starsky? Tokyo Vice is a drama created by J.T. Rogers, who was mostly a playwright until he took this on. One of the producers and the director of the first episode was one of my favorites, Michael Mann, who was the creator of Miami Vice, but the word Vice is about the only thing the two shows have in common. Season one came out two years ago. It had eight episodes. This season has ten episodes, um, five of which are out now. I've watched the first four. Tokyo Vice stars Ansel Elgort from West Side Story as a young man who becomes a cub reporter for the biggest newspaper in Tokyo and Ken Watanabe as a longtime detective in Tokyo and how they're both investigating the Yakuza which is the mafia coming at it from different angles at first uh, but joining forces as season 1 went along and season 2 is a continuation of that obviously should point out the show is in a mixture of English and Japanese language wise so there are subtitles for like half of the show maybe even more than half there have been a lot of journalism and cop shows and movies over the years and one of the things that helps this stand out is that it's set in Tokyo in 1999. So cell phones are around, but you can't just Google every little thing that pops into your head, which is good as it's a journalism and a cop show and these guys are investigating stuff. Uh, And now we get to watch them do more legwork. This is something I, I think about a lot because, I mean, boy howdy, does that just change things for so many shows. I don't watch horror movies, but I imagine a lot of, Horror movies set in modern times have to lay a lot of pipe at the beginning to separate people from their phones and the internet and any communications, so so they can't just call nine one one or find a map out of the woods that they're stuck in or something dumb like that. Uh, you can have a storm that cuts power or dead batteries or whatever, or you can set your you know set your piece in a time before any of that technological stuff. Uh, Seinfeld went through a whole thing like that. If you look back at old Seinfelds, every episode it's like cell phones would have ended this in about two minutes. <laughs> at any rate, for Tokyo Vice, cell phones, yes internet on the phones, no. The first season had a lot of setup to get through, obviously with our leads, but all the more minor characters as well, just building the whole world. There's a guy, Sato, he's a young up-and-comer in the main Yakuza gang that we're following, and Samantha, the nightclub worker and now owner, who has connections to the good guys and the bad guys. So, right out of the gate, Season 2 is kind of just into the thick of it as the setup is already done, so it definitely feels like it's moving faster. Um, It's all good stuff. If you've seen the first season and like this, you'll obviously like Season 2 as well. I think it's worth it just for ken watanabe i I just love whenever that guy pops up in whatever i'm watching so there you go tokyo vice season two continues on crave new episodes every thursday
0: and that reminds me of a couple of things uh on the japanese front that new shogun right show has arrived so that's an fx show that is on disney plus yep as well i'm gonna watch that this week we'll talk about that next week does that mean that it airs First on FX and then arrives on Disney Plus. I've never actually checked. I thought how that it was going to
1: be that, and I was. I had set a notes like, "Oh, set up your PVR for FX to record Shogun." And before I got to that, I saw that it was on Disney. So for the first couple of episodes,
0: anyways, it was the
1: same on both. Same okay, day.
0: all right, and then the regime. Starts on HBO on Sunday. That's that uh, Kate Winslet show where she plays. Or uh, yeah, Sunday, yep. uh, she plays like the chancellor of this fictitious Central European country where it's like a dictatorship, and uh, it looks really, really cool. And Winslet in a in a career full of. Like all-time career performances, it looks like she might have outdone herself again. I'm looking forward to it. Uh,
1: like three weeks ago, I was complaining, I was like, oh, because whatever shows we were watching had ended." I was like, "All I've got is Abbott Elementary and Kirby Enthusiasm." Now it's like I've got eight shows to watch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a lot of time, and that's all the time we've got. I'm Brad East, Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.